So as many of you know, I spent 20 years living in New York City. The last eight of those years uh, I spent in Brooklyn, in a neighborhood called Midwood, Brooklyn, not far from Marine Park. Uh, in fact, Marine Park, uh, the park in the neighborhood of Marine Park, uh, is where I spent many, many, many days all throughout the pandemic because we couldn't really go anywhere. But uh, it was a huge, wide open space. So I would go with my uh, wife and my son. Uh, and in the Marine Park uh, neighborhood is a restaurant called Nick's Lobster House. It is one of our uh, favorite places, uh, was one, uh, continues to be one of our favorite places in all of Brooklyn today. I'm chatting with the general manager and uh, executive chef of Nick's. This is really special for me, uh, totally selfishly. Uh, it's going to be a really good conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. Don't go anywhere. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast with answers for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast dedicated solely to helping you build a more profitable restaurant. Each week I leverage my 20 plus years in the industry to help you build that more profitable and more sustainable business. I also work directly with owners and operators all over the world through my P3 Mastermind program. This is a group coaching program geared towards restaurateurs who have restaurants that have been around for at least a year, doing at least a million dollars in revenue, but they struggle to generate consistent, predictable profits to the bottom line. If that sounds like you, if you are looking for consistent, predictable 20% returns, I can show you how to do it. There's just a, a couple of simple systems and frameworks. Let me be your coach. Let me show you how simple it can be to get your team together, to get everybody focused and rowing in the same direction. Uh, if you want to chat, uh, the best way to get started is to grab time on the calendar. A uh, 30-minute call, absolutely free, where we get to learn more about you and your restaurant. You get to learn more about the program we run. Go to restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. Again, grab some time on the calendar. You'll chat with me or someone from my team, and we'll figure out if you're a good fit. Again, 30-minute call, absolutely free, just a way for us to get to know each other. Again, restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. And yes, that link is in the show notes. Now, we all know managing costs is one of the most important parts of running a profitable restaurant, especially now. But between fluctuating vendor prices, waste, labor, and the never-ending list of tasks that demand your attention on a daily basis, it can be challenging for even the most experienced of us to manage costs well. That's where Margin Edge comes in. Margin Edge is a complete restaurant management software that automatically uses data from your POS and invoices to show you your food and labor costs in real time. Don't wait until it's too late. Margin Edge gives you tools to make decisions in the moment, like a daily P&L, price alerts on key ingredients, and real-time plate costs, all without ever having to touch a spreadsheet. Take control of your costs, work more efficiently, and be more profitable. Learn more at marginedge.com slash chip. And yes, that link is also in the show notes. Now, 
My guest on today's show, as I teased at the beginning, is a guy named Dimitri Karousas. He is the executive chef and general manager for Nick's Lobster House. It's in Marine Park, Brooklyn. I know it well because I live just about 10, 15 minutes away from there uh, when I lived in Brooklyn. So spent 20 years in New York City. Eight of those, the last eight, before I moved out to New Jersey, uh, were spent in uh, in Midwood, Brooklyn, not far from Marine Park. Nick's is a, is a, a legacy brand in the heart of Marine Park, right on Flatbush as you're way uh, as you're on your way out to the beach. And so I'm excited to talk about um, uh, talk to Dimitri uh, about what it takes to maintain a, a legacy brand uh, and, and what he's done in his nine plus years there. First, though, we got to welcome the show. Dimitri, good to have you. Tell me, listen, uh, this is this is really great to be able to sit and chat with you uh, because I, I really mean it. I, I love the place. Uh, it's a beautiful place. It's great. It's fun. It's energetic. It's right on the water. Um, sunset's fun right there. Uh, the food's great. Yeah. I think what what you guys have built there, what you continue to build there is really cool. To give context for everybody listening who uh, who is not from Brooklyn or does not know this place, um, explain a little bit about what Nick's is. Explain uh, how you came to Nick's, and we'll sort of use that as a jumping off point for a broader conversation. Wow. Um, Nick's is, you know, a family establishment. It's been around since 1955. You know, started off primarily as a seafood market, you know, boats pulling up, uh, selling, you know, fresh caught seafood, lobsters, um, mussels, clams, everything, you know, um, fresh fish. Um, through the years, they kept adding pieces like fried seafood and and just kind of growing in that you know small little shack and seafood market primarily and when yeah. did you you've been there for a while so talk to me a little bit about your role there and talk to me about your journey what it took for you to get there and then i want to talk about how your role has i imagine your role has grown it probably started as one thing and it's become what it is now. I'd, I'd love to better understand that as well. Yeah. I mean, I took over or I was hired in 2015 to help turn the restaurant around. It had, uh, declined in the seafood market and it had, uh, a steady base of, of, of customers who are coming in to dine in. Um, it was primarily, you know, coming out of the Culinary Institute of America and, and, you know, I had graduated out of high school. I was working in the city at the time. I met the owner and he was looking for a GM. Um, so that for me, that was, you know, that was a, a fun project. You know, I, I saw the, I saw the growth potential. I saw that they were doing some things, unfortunately, not the right way to do things, um, food wise. Um, and I, I wanted to step in and help, you know? Yeah, for sure. Can you think back? It's a long time. I mean, what, nine, almost nine years ago. Um, Talk to me about what some of the things were. So you meet the owner. They say, hey, we need some help. How, how does that work? So they bring you in and say, hey, take a look and see what you think, see if there's anything you can 
like what what stuck out if you can remember yeah. what were a couple of things you said there's some things they were doing with the food like what was not going quite right what what weren't, weren't they doing right that you were able to say no we're going to do this instead of that we're going to do this instead of that uh again coming out of the culinary of america my main focus was fresh food so doing a walkthrough i noticed you know bottles and cans and frozen and, and things that you know we were taught was basically against the culinary religion you know um yeah for sure so i remember i remember my first week there you know i'm still getting acclimated to who's who and what they're doing they uh in the in the prep kitchen they open up this table they set up all these little two ounce cups and they take out these orange bottles and they start pouring what I don't know what it was, looked like OJ, I guess, into those little cups. And I was like, what are you guys doing? And I'm like, oh, that's the butter we get with the lobsters. I was like, that's not butter. <laughs> I'm like, read the ingredient list. <laughs> it's not butter. You know, I'm like, you guys are, we're a lobster house. Like, we can't, you know. And I, I think that was the first week where I was like, I called our supplier and I was like, can I get two cases of salted butter, please? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. So they're pouring uh, some questionable uh, material that's not butter, but they're uh, passing it off as butter. Um, no, I was going to say a lot of these things, you you know, I, I'm sorry, I go into these trade shows nowadays, like food shows, and you see the stuff they're selling. It makes life easier for certain people, right? But you read the ingredient lists, even like some of the stocks and, and cubes that they sell for soups and the ingredient list doesn't even have, you know, something that says chicken or fish, you know what I mean? And so you felt like that place was sort of right. So that place got sort of wrapped up in, um, it just sort of went down a bad path and just needed yeah. sort of new leadership. Am I understanding that right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I guess everybody kind of, Everybody kind of fell in 2008, right? So, right. Um, I think they just kind of, you know, they didn't have the right leadership in place. They had, you know, people who they trusted who were trying to do the best they could, right? But uh, a restaurant person will come in and, you know, again, I've been in, I've been cooking since I was eight years old. Um, I went to the Culinary Store of America, you know, right out of high school. So my, you know, I've loved cooking from a young age, you know, uh, I got into the management focus of, of things cause I always wanted to open my own restaurant. Um, so I think that's what kind of drew me into Nick's was it was a GM position with kind of the free reins to fix anything and everything, you know? Yeah, for sure. So tell me, on a nightly basis, what's your role? Are you in the front or are you in the back or do you float between? Explain that to me. So nowadays I start on the line, you know, uh, cooking. It wasn't like that, I guess, a few years ago, but, you know, with tight costs and, and, and labor, you know, going so high up, I usually start off on the line. 
once things slow down, I'll walk the floor. I mean, we still have management that's in front of the house, but you know, I'll walk the floor and just check with my guests of how everything's going, you know? Yeah, for sure. Talk to me about one of the things that I'm really interested in is, uh, is managing properties, right? We, I, I think in restaurants, we don't use uh, the word manager, right? Uh, a manager in any other industry is responsible for managing the profitability of the business, managing revenue, managing expenses, managing yeah. the day-to-day. And I think in uh, the restaurant industry, we get caught up in this thing where a manager uh, opens, a manager turns on lights, a manager does a bank drop, a manager uh, does comps and voids, a manager deals with uh, with complaints. All of that, I think, has to be part of a manager's job. Yeah. But I think the shame of it is that that's uh, over the last, I don't know, as long as I've been doing this, it often crowds out actually what we need them to do, which is to manage for profitability. Yeah. Talk to me about how you think about that, how you approach that, and specifically how you approach that with the managers who work under you. <sighs> Oh, that's really tough. I mean, I, I handle most of the aspects of, you know, profitability and and managing that aspect of ordering, you know, menu pricing, uh, scheduling, you know, and, and I, my, I have other managers, like I said, the front of the house managers, uh, who one is a bar manager. He, he handles the liquor purchases, the, you know, the beer and wine and liquor program and obviously the costing of it and all that, you know, and then we have our third who's primarily voids, comps, guests, you know, talking to guests, which we all have to do. You know what I mean? I come off the line plenty of times in in an apron to walk the floor and, and see how the guests are enjoying themselves. You know, that's right. Um, when managers come so uh, let me back up and say, what sort of systems do you have in place for, I mean, I, I assume this place has been around and uh, for a while, I assume it's profitable. There's something working about the restaurant, um, which isn't always the case for independent restaurants. Um, they're not always profitable or they're not always profitable yeah. at um, at a significant level. And I think we know that we've all heard the data. So how do you maintain, I mean, you've been there for nine years. I assume, again, that means you're doing something right. Um, how do you how do you maintain that day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year? And when new managers come to you, how do you sort of get them with the program? I mean, the beginning, it was uh, it was mainly f- focusing on growth, not so much. Um, I guess the profit end of it, you know, once you're growing, you know, when you're getting people in the door and there's, you know, revenue and there's, you know, money, you know, like the city, for example, where, you know, a dollar slice, right. It's all about the numbers. Um, we weren't too much focused on the profit end of things. Now, you know, with minimum wage gone going up and going up again January first, it's like everything matters. You know, uh, every single you know, just watching everything. You know, as far as management, you know, we have team meetings. You know, we have team meetings. I mean, we have pre-shift meetings daily, and we have manager meetings. You know, weekly. You know, and just talking about what you know what we did last week. You know what 
what is our sales, what we should focus on and stuff like that, you know, just communication constantly. For sure. Do you set uh, revenue targets for your team, uh, daily revenue targets? Do you give them budgets for what they can spend on their liquor purchases, what they spend on their food purchases, things like that? I mean, are, are those kind of safeguards uh, some in place? Yeah, uh, I, I still do the food purchasing just to, you know, because yep. I'm always ordering things to run specials, you know, talking to my vendors about things that are coming in, you know, fresher and better and what's in season and stuff like that. As far as um, liquor, you know, my manager is very good at, at focused and on what we need to be moving and selling, you know, uh, we worked with some very, you know, local wineries. We, we bottled, you know, we labeled our own wine. We got some, you know, some really good pricing on, on wine and, and beers and, you know, cause we also understand the neighborhood that we're in, you know, we're not New York city, Manhattan, you know, we're South Brooklyn, you know, we're not even, you know, Williamsburg and stuff like that, where, people might spend a little bit extra, you know, South Brooklyn's a little bit, it's actually a lot different than the rest of Brooklyn. I, I agree. Having, having lived there for eight years, it's a, it's a very unique little pocket within the five boroughs. It, it there are parts of it that feel like it must've felt 50, 60, 70 years ago. It's, it really feels like it, it has not changed. The, the communities yeah. are very insular. Um, whether it's the, you know, the Irish community as you head out to Breezy, whether it's the sort of heavy like Russian Azerbaijani community that's uh, that's parked in the middle of Midwood or the Orthodox community or now the Chinese uh, community around Avenue U. And as you get into Marine Park, it's 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 old school. It, it feels like it really hasn't changed in 70 plus years. I know. And I think that's what makes it so hard to market, too. Right. Like you don't know. You don't know what newspaper to go into. You don't know what kind of advertising you should do. It's very difficult. I mean, we've been there for a long time, but I feel like there's always like, not always, but I, every day I hear somebody say, oh, I've been driving by this place for 40 years and never thought to stop in. It's like, it has like, such, you know, because it's a freestanding building and a long parking lot, I feel like there's a stigma with just pulling in and just checking it out. You know what I mean? I, I do. So for those of you who don't know this, um, Nick's is right on Flatbush, which runs from sort of mainland uh, Brooklyn out towards the shore points like Breezy Point and Rockaway and stuff like that. So it it really feels like it's like on the way out of town. If there is if there is such a thing, it feels like you got to go way down in Brooklyn. And yeah. even if you're down in southern Brooklyn in area, you know, in certain neighborhoods down there. It's sort of um, it's sort of another thing, and Flatbush uh, can be uh, heavy traffic. Uh, it can move pretty quickly, and you're right; it's not the kind of thing where you can just sort of roll past easily. You got to pull into the parking lot. You can't pull up right in front because it's a long parking lot uh, that goes yeah. beyond it. Um, so you got to park the car. You got to walk up to the front door, and you got to go figure it out. Um, you, you brought up something. Uh, there's two things I wanted to touch on uh, that you've already brought up. I want to sort of go back and talk about growth, but I want to talk about that in a minute. I want to stay just a second longer and talk about marketing and yeah. how you guys think about marketing your restaurant. How do you, how do you approach? I mean, it? we started working with, you know, a team we're bringing in uh, influencers 
we're trying to grow our, you know, because we're, I guess you could call us a dinosaur, right? We've been there for 65, 67 years now that, you know, we're trying to bring in the younger generations who, you know, appeal on, you know, Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. And, you know, you have to start these pages uh, before, before taking over uh, Nick's, I didn't even have a Facebook account. I didn't even know what that was. Or, you know, I had an Instagram, but it wasn't even like, it wasn't something that I was, that I, you know, did every day, right? Um, I guess I'm also born in those years that, you know, that we didn't have those things, you know? So it's, like you said, it's difficult to market to the people that yep. have the extra spending don't have kids yet you know come in and have drinks uh at the bar you know um enjoy you know some fresh seafood i mean we've grown past just seafood you know we do you know usda prime meats and um you know uh, organic chicken and you know all different types of of things you know yeah for sure so talk to me about the how talk to me about influencer marketing because I think this is interesting this is of interest for a lot of people listening here because a lot of people have heard oh it works you got to do it oh it doesn't really work it's not worth your money it's not worth your time and and so talk to me about specifically how you guys find influencers target influencers and how exactly you've found uh to work with them best yeah so with the influencers it has been working. We have been getting uh, people who are traveling, who follow certain people on Instagram or TikTok, you know, and they come to check it out for themselves. It does bring people through the door. We are kind of new to it. I think we just started maybe less than a year ago. So I'm not sure if you if we're going to get return customers because people might travel, they'll taste it. They might think it's great. You'll get a great review, but will they do it again, or will they go to the next spot that the you know the influencer is talking about? You know what I mean. So you might you know you're not going to get somebody who's going to come in every single week, right? Like your general local community. So talk to me about because um, this is something I think about quite a bit, right? That. That when I talk to uh, my clients, the members of my mastermind that I run, um, I like to say there, there's only three things we need to do to build a successful marketing strategy for our restaurants. And I call it the triangle principle. There's only really only three sides to the triangle. We've got to focus on customer acquisition. How do we get them in? We got to focus on customer retention. How do we get them back? And then the last piece is evangelism. Yeah. How do we get those people to go spread the good word? And so. Yeah. Influencer marketing is a version of evangelism. How do we get people to go spread the word? Um, but it's also an acquisition tactic, right? Yeah. We're, we're using this to try to get yeah. people to say, oh, I like that. I want to come in. So I guess my question is, um, have you done or have you ever thought of doing some sort of retention tactic, any some sort of bounce back promotion, something that when somebody says, oh, I saw, you know, influencer XYZ, come in here. That's why I came in. Do we hand them or could you hand them uh, a card 
you know, even your business card that says, you know, $10 off next visit that says, great, I'm glad you came in. This is so you, uh, to help you come in, you know, this is, here's an excuse for you to come visit us. This is valid anytime uh, through the end of January, something like that. Have you guys done stuff like that? Have you, have you thought in those terms? We have done uh, free appetizer cards that we were giving, to be honest, we were kind of giving them out to everyone who walked through the door, especially, you know, we don't have a huge, we don't have a huge uh, downturn in the, in the summertime because the summertime, like you know, there's an outdoor deck, 100 seats on the water. We're busy, you know, Monday through Sunday. The, you know, the times that get tough is now in the winter time. Once that clock changes, things kind of slow down. So to, now is like the time where we focus or September, October, November is when we focus on, you know, giving out these free cards. Uh, we do work with open table. So we were actually just looking into doing um, some text message and email marketing to get people back. But um, yeah, that's pretty, you know. That's something that we just started working on. Yeah, it's one of those things. I just, I always think that everything we do needs to have those three components to it, right? What are we doing to get people in? How do we then identify the first-time diners and get them to come back? And then how do we get them to go talk about us? And it's a flywheel. So that we know when, uh, whenever we get a new person come in, they're going to trip over the wire that gets them to come back, whatever that is. They're going to get added to our email list, our SMS list. They're going to yeah. get a bounce-back promotion. They're going to get whatever it is. And we know that we always ask them to post about us or we've got food that looks really impressive and they're always taking pictures and videos of it and always, uh, you know, and always uh, posting them to their reviews and things like that. So that everything we do, then every dollar we spend to get people in the front door, we've got a retention piece to it. And we've got an evangelism piece and everything, everything we do in the restaurants has to focus on that flywheel, all three pieces of that. Otherwise, it doesn't work. If we're just focusing on running Google ads or Facebook and Instagram ads to get people to walk in, well, then we're spending all this money to get one visit rather than thinking in terms uh, the way that Best Buy thinks or the way that Nike thinks, which is the, the lifetime value of a customer. So, okay, we're willing to spend X number of dollars. I always talk about a yeah. case study I did in, uh, in business school. We did it all about HelloFresh, right? HelloFresh knows that on average, their... Um, uh, their consumer stays for about 32 weeks, right? $60 a box per week on average. It works out to about $1,900. They know the average new customer is worth about $1,900 to them, lifetime value. So they're willing to give you three free boxes, 60 times three, it's 180. They're willing to spend that sort of acquisition cost because it's a, it's a huge return. It's a 10 to one return on investment. And they know that they're willing to spend the money up front. And I yeah. think in the restaurant industry, we would serve ourselves better if we uh, got better at understanding what the lifetime value of a given customer is. And if we knew on average, a customer visits, uh, visits us four times a year, then we'd say, okay, one person on average, it's $55 here. I'm making up the number, you know, table of two or table of four. Okay. That's yeah. 200 and some dollars. Um, I'd be willing to spend X number of dollars to make Y number of dollars in return. And I've got the mechanisms in place that will make sure that they come back for their second and third visit, that they will talk about us, rave about us, et cetera. 
And we got better at tracking that and understanding the consumer behavior, the behavior of our diners. I think we'd be in a better position to understand exactly what we should be spending to actually acquire the customers. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I, you know, one of the things when I was primarily GM, you know, was focusing on is, uh, is just building a relationship, right? Talking to my guests, noticing the people who are coming back, um, building that relationship, buying desserts, giving some coffees, you know, I think that that's so important, you know, and that's what Nick's kind of specialized in and is talking to their guests and, you know, building those relationships, you know. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Running a restaurant is hard work, but managing your team doesn't have to be. If you're spending hours on scheduling and chasing your team down through text chains and emails, you need to check out Seven Shifts, a team management platform built specifically for restaurants. With Seven Shifts, you can create and publish schedules in minutes, communicate with your team, and pay your employees all in a single tool. Seven Shifts helps your team make more profitable decisions, improving operating efficiency, and most importantly, it gives you time back in your day. And right now, Restaurant Strategy Podcast listeners can get three months free. To get started, visit sevenshifts.com slash strategy. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash strategy to get three months of industry-leading team management for free. As always, the link is in the show notes. Yeah, one of the best things that I ever heard, uh, friend, I was working uh, with a mentor of mine, a guy who went on to become my friend, and he used to do this thing. He used to give everybody, every server on the floor, every night, a $20 comp budget. Said, you have uh, $20, car blanche. I, I, don't, I don't care. I don't need to know about it. If it's $20 or less, and it's going to make someone's night, meaning someone's deciding between this dessert and that dessert, and they choose the first dessert, just send them the second one and just say, hey, I know you were debating between the two. Even if you don't eat the whole thing, I wanted you to be able to try it. Even if you eat half of this and half of that, um, this is something yeah. I can do, right? If, if somebody's, you know, they want another glass of wine, but they don't want a full glass of wine, you bring them a half glass of wine. Or you split the yeah. glass and you, you know, you, you comp them so they each have a half a glass more. I don't think I want to have a whole other glass and then drive home, but here, here's a half a glass. And those little things, if we empower our servers or our managers to do to go above and beyond like then they start looking for opportunities to to make an impression even if it's self-serving they say hey i'm going to give this guy an extra glass of wine maybe he'll tip me a little bit better okay so what they got good feelings when they walk out when they walk out the door at the end of their meal you know i agree i agree 100 percent. i that's something that we always focused on i think from day one um you know i think the one of the first things we did was we started doing the happy birthdays but we also focused on giving out, you know, a glass of wine, like you said, I know when I walk the floor and I talk to guests about, you know, an appetizer, oh, I wanted to try this, but it was a little much, you know, I'll go in the kitchen and grab a half portion of something of what they wanted to try just to try it, yeah. you know, because um, our food is really good. And the more people get to try it, you know, the better, um, you know, the more return we'll have, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the better, the better we can get at educate, I always say it, it comes down to education and empowerment. 
with our managers, for example, or our servers or our bartenders, if we can make sure they understand, we can teach yeah. them what we need them to do, show them what to do, give them the tools, show them how to use the tools, and then ultimately empower them to, to take it into their own hands, um, we're able to then focus on uh, sort of higher level things. Um, and what you do is you get buy-in from a whole team of people. You know, I, I got to tell you, every time I worked with this guy um, and he, you know, we would open restaurants and he would yeah. say, okay, great. It was like the night before we opened or maybe like opening night when we started our soft opening. He'd say, oh, hey guys, and, and we haven't talked about this yet, uh, but everybody gets a $20 comp budget. Now this was, you know, 14 years ago or whatever. So maybe it's a $30 comp budget now. He said, everybody gets a $20 yeah. comp budget to do whatever you want. If you can fix a mistake, if you can make someone's night, if you can go above and beyond, I, 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 I totally give you uh, free reign to do that. Now, these restaurants were fine dining. They were, you know, a hundred and, you know, twenty, hundred and thirty, hundred forty dollars a head. So certainly not cheap. So the twenty dollar comp budget on a, on a four top is, you know, five dollars per person. It's not really cutting into uh, that deeply into our into our profitability. Like, like he knew what he was doing. He knew how to keep that comp yeah. budget within within range and. And he would just say, and he would get when he was closing out, that was part of the closeout. You know, what'd you spend your comp budget on? And it was a conversation. And they'd say, oh, table 12. So they were celebrating their birthday, blah, blah, blah. And I did this. Oh, table 32, right? And it was a deeper conversation if the comp budget hadn't been used. And it was, hey, why didn't you, why didn't you use your comp budget? And it was never, yeah. he's like, if you didn't use it, it means you weren't listening, you weren't engaging with your guests you weren't paying attention because there was something you could have done. Like that was a deeper sin to him. If you didn't use the, if you didn't use the comp budget, it was, it was a really cool thing to watch. And, and that's, um, that continues to resonate uh, the further I go in, in my career. That's really smart in the sense of picking up the, why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you use that tool that I gave you? Mm -hmm. Because even when we were building the bar, when I first took over, we were just being a wine. And then uh, I think 2018, we switched to a full liquor license. And I was always telling the bartenders, you know, if you want to build a bar business, you know, buy around. You know, it's important that you, you know, you give something back to, the, to someone who's sitting at your bar, either having food or just having drinks before dinner, you know, make sure that they understand that, you're, that they're always welcome there. You know, yep. Um, and we've always, you know, maybe, you know, after COVID, you know, we just kind of maybe forgot about all this stuff. You know, you think about so many other things that you might, I feel like I might have lost that, uh, that pre shift conversation, you know, isn't that so? I want to, I want to stop here because you said that's, that's exactly right. I think we have forgotten about some of this because the costs have gone up, yeah. right? Cost of goods has gone up. Labor has gone up. It's harder to uh, find people, harder to keep people. And we're so focused on just sort of keeping our heads above water that we forgot. I think in many cases, we forgot why we exist in the first place, which is to take care of people. It's not even to feed people. Yeah. It's not to feed people. We run restaurants. Yes, we serve food, but that's not what we're selling. We're selling comfort. We're selling uh, good feelings. We're, we're, we're selling a celebration. We're selling yeah. relaxation. We're, se we're that's not, we're serving food. What we're selling is something very different. And when you think of yeah. that, when, when you realize what yeah. the transaction is, that it's money in exchange for 
a, a, a great night, you know, a, um, a, a happy two hours. Yeah. Um, it changes everything. I always, I always yeah. joke around. It's funny. I would say, you know, it's, it's so funny. I'm really sensitive to lighting. So when I walk into a place and the lighting's off, either it's way too bright, especially when it's way too bright, or it's way too dark, I get really, or when the music's too loud yeah. or when the music's not right for the place, I'm just like, like, uh, like it drives me crazy. Yeah. And I've said this before. I said, you know, what's funny is that we, the, the amount of time we spend focusing on a wine program, a cocktail program, a menu, far and away, our guests, the diners in our restaurants know very little about wine, spirits, and food. They know very little. That's why they come to us. But what they do know is atmosphere. Yeah. They know what a comfortable chair feels like. They know what a wobbly table, that, that a wobbly table isn't comfortable. They know when lighting is too bright and it's not comfortable to sit there for a long time. They know when music is too loud or too quiet or doesn't fit the vibe. They know way more about the aesthetics than they do about what we're going to feed them. And the fact that it's an afterthought for so many restaurants drives me up a wall. Do you, do you ever feel that? Is that just me? You know what? I do. I do. And I agree with you. We actually, you know, we bought new tables. We bought new chairs, you know, because I wanted, you know, we redid the floors because my main, because you're right. I, that's what I look at. I go out to eat all the time. And, you know, atmosphere is way more important sometimes. Uh, food is obviously very important. Service is important, you know, but the atmosphere is really important. And if I don't feel comfortable in a place, I'm probably, you know, I'm not going to go back, you know? So yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's something that it's true. It's true for, it's true for so many people. Yeah. yeah. It's true for so many people and, but they'll never articulate it. Right. Yeah. And, and again, we don't have to not care about the food, but we can't care about the food, the menu, the, the, the cocktail list, the, the wines and we can't care more about that than we do the basic comforts of like, I always say this, like, like a host not taking their eyes off their phone. When I walk in the door, it's like, like gone, like gone, gone. Yeah. Like your job is to sit there and be the first point uh, of contact and say, welcome out of the hundreds of thousands of restaurants that you could have picked tonight. You drove all the way down Flatbush and showed up here yeah. like, thanks. Like, like I just, any restaurant owner listening to this understands how big that is. Like, I don't know when you run a struggling restaurant or when you run a, a, a restaurant that's taken time to get its hold, yeah. its foothold, every person who comes in, it's like, man, thank you. So many other great restaurants you could have gone to, even just in that area, right? Like, so again, we're talking about Brooklyn, Southern Brooklyn, Marine Park, right? What you guys do is not dissimilar to Clementi's, which is, you know, just down the, just down the belt, right? You go over into Breezy Point, there's places there, there's Kennedy's out there. There's, there's tons of other places where you can go that do what you guys do. Now, you don't necessarily have the vibe and the view that you guys yeah. have, right? Like you're right on the water there. It's, it's a whole thing. There's definitely things that would, uh, that would persuade someone to come to you guys as opposed to somewhere else. But I think you're well aware that it would be all too easy for someone to say, I just uh, wasn't really comfortable. They didn't really take care of me. They didn't smile. They weren't nice. The lighting was weird. The music sucked. Like, let's just go somewhere else because I can get really good seafood 
even right on the water at a at a bunch of different places. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. And that's, you know, that's the hardest part about maybe not being primarily in the front of the house like I used to be, you know, um, you leave these things up to, you know, managers or head servers or the any individual server who approaches a table and greets your guests and you're hoping that they're doing what you've told them. Right. And that's how, you know, that's what makes this business so hard, you know, because we're not in the restaurant business. We're in the hospitality industry. A hundred percent. And it's all about welcoming guests. A hundred, a hundred percent. Again, we serve food. We do not sell it. That's not what we're selling. That's not the product. That's not the transaction. And you're right. And ultimately I think that ends up being a really big part of the conversation is how do we train people to do what we want them to do? How do we continue to manage them to make sure they're maintaining the standards and the vision that we set forth? Again, this place has been here, you said 67 years. Um, talk about a, you say dinosaur, I say legacy. Like it's yeah. just, there aren't many places that survive that long. I mean, again, to mention Clementi's and, and Kennedy's, you know, just sort of in your, you know, side neighbors there. Again, two other sort of iconic legacy brands down there that most people wouldn't know, but the people in Southern Brooklyn, they do know. Um, yeah. Those are, those are sort of standbys. And I think, uh, and I think there is a responsibility um, to do that. I want to go back and I want to talk about something you said, I don't know, 25 minutes ago, where you're talking about when you first started there, um, your focus is really all on growth, growing top line revenue. Talk to me about what you did specifically or, or how you continue to think about it when it comes to uh, to growth. Well, in the beginning, like the in the beginning, the mo the things I focused on the most was the food. Uh, like I said before, the things that I saw. Uh, I wanted to clean that up. So we started doing our own dressings, our own soups, our own stocks. Uh, I would purchase the seafood, you know, every other day I was getting shipments in or I am getting shipments in. Uh, the quality of the lobsters, the, the, if you bring in really good ingredients, it's hard for people to screw it up. Um, so that was my main focus once i did that i focused on the floor the servers we transitioned from the look of you know the server and how we approach our guests and build the relationships like i said from the beginning and we had we still have some you know we went from i mean i think when I took over, we were doing 1.8 million a year, and we we did almost uh, 5 million in 2022, 2021. You know, it was a steady growth every every year. Yeah, it's a big operation. And that's obviously because the owners were also, yeah, we were also doing the things out. You know, changing the decor, getting rid of the large seafood market when you first walked in we downsized to something smaller and focused on the bar and we got our full liquor license. You know, we redid floors and tables and chairs and silverware and glassware and, you know, kind of tried to bring it up to speed with, you know, you know, with the rest of New York city, you know? Uh, and I think people really 
enjoyed and still enjoy, you know, what we're doing. Um, so that was primarily the focus is the guest retention, you know, clean food, the things, the products that we use, you know, we're going mostly, like I said, you know, wild caught seafood and, and sourced, you know, from areas that we truly trust, right? Because you could buy something that tells you it's salmon, but is it really salmon, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, we bypassed, we bypassed Maine and we, we started sourcing uh, lobsters from Nova Scotia. I found them to be harder shells, but more meat. You know, you could go get a lobster from anybody, but, you know, when you come to Nick's, you're going to get the best lobster. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, all of our all of our lobster meat we shuck in house. We steam our own lobsters every morning. And we shuck our own meat to make lobster rolls and stuff like that. It doesn't come out of a frozen package that that has some sort of you know chemical that's going to hold it for you know however long it lasts. You know what I yep, mean? Yep, I do. Um, even oils, you know, we only use butter and extra virgin olive oil, and then a pure olive oil to make dressings, you know, something a lighter grade. But that's, you know, we try to, we fry only in a, in a non-GMO uh, sunflower oil. You know, we stay away from canolas and soys because it bothers people. I know it bothered me. You know, when I would eat something that had some bad oil, it sits in your stomach and it weighs you down. And when it comes to fried seafood, you you know, you want to have something light. Light. I mean, as light as it could get if it's fried, but you know, you're gonna eat it and it's not gonna leave that like heaviness in your stomach, you know. I do. So all that stuff went into the thought of, you know, the ingredients, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um and the growth. Yeah, I mean I mean it makes sense. And I mean, you talked about it, right? Going from, you know, less than two million dollars a year to now five and a half. I gotta imagine you're you're probably gonna approach or break six million in twenty twenty three. Um I I can see the the straight trajectory straight through. Um Dimitri, I've loved this conversation. I want to be really respectful of your time. I'm going to wrap things up, wind things down. I always ask my guests the same five questions. Uh, are, are you game? Can I ask you these five questions? Yes. Perfect. First question. What's the last great meal you've had? The last great meal I had. You know, the, <laughs> does it have to be work? No. Because the other day I had one of the best burgers <laughs> I've had in a very long time at at, at Nick's. Um, but you know, outside of work, I, there's this little diner that I always go to in Pennsylvania and they do this nine hour, um, pot roast with home fries, eggs, gravy, peppers, and onions. And I, I fell in love with this thing. Wow. I see. I love it. That's great. Um, I, I get the best answers when I, when I ask this question, um, I, I never, never get, Oh, we went to this super fancy restaurant last week for my anniversary. And I get, oh, well, so my mom made this really great. Oh, I was at this diner and they had really great pot roast. Oh, I had, you know, um, I had this uh, killer yeah. egg sandwich last week. I don't even, I don't even know what this guy, they, they're all answers like that. I, I mean, it's, it makes it really great. Okay. Next question. Yeah. What is the, think back to some of the, experiences you've had recently in restaurants, hotels, or, or even out in the world, what's, um, 
what's the last great hospitality touch you've had where, where somebody went above and beyond, where somebody surprised you and you went like, whoa, that, that was awesome. Something really, really caught you off guard. Yeah, I, I go out a lot and I would think that I would have something in my head and I really, and nothing's coming up, you know. Yep. Um, I get I get this sometimes too, and I think it's sort of a shame because, uh, like we said the last few minutes, uh, we're not selling food, we're selling good vibes, we're selling good feelings. And if we change our perspective and say, okay, we're not here selling food, we're selling uh, a great time, then what do we need to do to make sure someone has a great time? I, I agree with you. I think this is something that um, that has sort of fallen by the wayside. And um, even as I think of some, some of the best experiences I've had are, um, or, or the, these hospitality touches are, are a year or two removed. And they're when I was traveling outside of the United States, not here, which, which sort of breaks my heart. Yeah, actually, you know, one, one, one thing did come up to my head now because it's got, it's a few months ago already that this has happened, but we were, I was with the family and we were back in New York. I was leaving the restaurant and the family really wanted gyros. And the only place that we could go to was in Astoria, Queens. And we walked into this place and I, you know, one sandwich just doesn't cut it for me. So I wanted to try some of this uh, liver that they had on the menu. And the owner happened to be there and he brought out a smaller portion so I can try it. So this goes back to what we were talking about as far as, you know, if somebody wants to try something, why not? And you know what? We find ourselves, you know, every two weeks I'm traveling to Astoria to get gyros from this guy, you know? Yeah, I love it. That's great. So wait, what? A Greek guy in Astoria? That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My third question um, is my genie question. If a genie came down and could grant you one wish as it relates to our industry, the restaurant industry, what would you wish for? For our industry, I guess better help, more passionate, you know, employees who care about what we care about. Right. Like people who. I mean, growing up in this industry and working in diners as a child, you know, you. I knew how much I cared about every single thing I was doing, you know, from the way I was slicing my tomatoes to the way I was making my dressing. And it's like, now it's, you know, Hey, you know, you want a job? Yeah. Well, how much does it pay? And it's like, but you don't even know if you're going to like it. Why are you even asking me about this? You know, like, let's get into, you know, how much do you like what you're doing and how much, you know, and then we'll talk about everything else. You know, it's about employees and, and actually people who care about their everyday work, you know, because we care. I know Nick's cares about their employees, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's a good thing to wish for. Uh, all right. Number four, uh, what would you tell someone who's about to open their first restaurant? I think the hardest part about opening is just primarily waiting for the guests to walk through that door. Right. And it's just keep doing what you're doing, you know, believe in what you're doing and people are just going to walk through the door. Okay, great. All right. Last question. Um, tell me about the future of restaurants. I want you to look five years down the line 
and tell me something that you think is coming that other people may not see coming. I think the loss of service. I think what's coming is, you know, robotics. Uh, you know, it's funny because we had, um, we had a food runner robot for a little bit at Nick's. Uh, you see these new markets are opening up, especially in the airports where there's nobody there. You scan your card, you get in, you you put whatever you want in your basket and you walk out and it charges your credit card. I think you're going to see robotic arms instead of cooks. Uh, that's what I think the future of the restaurant is going due to the higher costs of operations, you know? Yep. Um, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, do you see that as a good thing or a bad thing? It depends on the business that you have. If it's a full service restaurant, yeah, I think I think having the server present, you know, having that interaction with a human is so important. But you see it more and more that, you know, places are just gonna be, you know, don't talk, don't speak, just punching your order and and eat your food and pay your bill you know yeah i uh i see a middle ground because uh, i agree with you i think uh there's some full service restaurants certainly upscale and fine dining uh that i think won't and shouldn't lose the the human touch in fact i think they're going to be much more expensive because we're yeah. going to want the human touch we're going to have to pay for that human touch but yeah. i see uh, a future where uh we use robotics we use technology screens kiosks table ordering things like that um, to actually get better hospitality by injecting um, those solutions in, I think or I hope um, we can free ourselves up, uh, our staff to we free them up to be more hospitable than than actually they're being right now because all that time at the table spent uh, taking an order, all that time spent you know tapping that order into the thing, all the. That's just manual. That's that's transactional, and I think we can ultimately uh, at uh, a lot of restaurants out here. Um, I think we can ask the the people to do that. It's like nobody wants to go to tellers anymore. The ATM's so convenient. Uh, you and I both live in New Jersey, yeah. uh, so we know uh, that we still get our gas pumped. But for most of the other states uh, <laughs> in this great country of ours, uh, they go to uh, a kiosk basically, and they put in their card and they tap in the numbers and tell the machine what kind of gas they want. They do that themselves. We can't imagine waiting in line at the airport to talk to somebody behind the desk. We don't. We come in, we check ourselves in, we get our bag tag, we put it on the bag, and we put it on the conveyor belt ourselves. And ultimately, I think those experiences are better yeah. because of it. And then we free up the people to actually deal with the big problems that the computers can't handle. Um, the, the airlines save more money. Uh, it's more efficient for uh, the, the, the travelers, all of that. I see a world where uh, if the restaurants do it right, I think we can actually make a better restaurant than we've ever had before. We just haven't had the opportunity to to get there yet. Yes. Excellent. Um, listen, Dimitri, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I really appreciate all you've done, you sharing your insights, your experiences here with me Thank today and all of us. Uh, any uh, any last words of wisdom for, uh, for the listeners before I cut you loose? Stay uh, ha happy, healthy. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Happy, healthy, uh, great holiday season, great New Year as we loop back around. Uh, we are recording this at the end of 2023. And um, uh, listen, I'm glad you took the time. I'm going to include all the links so you guys can go check out 
Uh, Nick's, you can see what it's all about. Again, it used to be an old haunt of mine when I lived in Southern Brooklyn. And uh, so I know it well. I love it uh, very, very much. Uh, Dimitri, appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. So once again, I got to thank Dimitri for taking time out of his day to sit and chat with me, to share his insights and experiences. I hope you got as much out of this conversation as I did. Tons, uh, tons we got into. Uh, as I said, the links are going to be in the show notes. Uh, so by all means, go check it out. If you're in the New York City area, it's definitely worth uh, worth a trip. It's a beautiful space right on the water. Uh, food's terrific. Again, Nick's Lobster House in Marine Park, Brooklyn. Uh, again, uh, one quick favor I got to ask you. I've been asking you this uh, over and over uh, for the last uh, month or two. Please, if you get any sort of value from this show, uh, if you like the show, if you've been tuning in for a while, um, I'd really appreciate you going to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a five-star rating and review. Just tell people what you've gotten out of it. Tell people why you tune in every week. Most importantly, tell them what they can expect to get out of it and why they should tune in every week. That, more than anything else, is how we grow our community, and I'd really appreciate it if you took just two minutes and did that. Again, Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. Uh, it helps us grow this community. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day to be here, and I will see you next time.